Morning, church. How many of you are enjoying the warm weather? Okay, yes, indeed. Good, good. Well, we are back to talking this morning about uh, pandemic perspectives. This one is a message, part two, actually, about the family. Discovering our family heritage and history has become uh, one of the fastest growing and biggest hobbies of our day, searching our past. People across our country and literally around the world are using uh, various online tools uh, to check out their family roots and from that create family trees, uh, just kind of figuring things out about our past. And millions of Americans have actually taken the Ancestry DNA test. It is a DNA test to discover distant cousins, their genetic makeup, their ethnic background. Uh, many of us have explored sites like Ancestry.com uh, to help us navigate our genealogy. How many of you have done one of those things that I mentioned? Yeah, yep, yep. And so we think about this, why? Why do we do that? Why do we search the past uh, to look at uh, our family and where we've come from? Well, I think going into and coming out of the pandemic, uh, people are searching, uh, searching to connect with something bigger than ourselves. It can't just be me in this moment. How do I fit into the bigger scheme that's out there? And so it makes sense that finding out where we came from would help us understand more about who we are. And if we can understand more about who we are, then we can kind of see how we fit into the bigger picture going forward into the future. And it makes sense. It makes sense. We're all looking for significance in some way or another. And so, as we've been learning here at Arise, the the Bible takes all of our genealogies back to just one couple. And what were their names? Adam and Eve. That is correct. The first couple. And we learn from their story. If you have sermon notes, would like to follow along. Men and women, male and female, are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. And we spent some time looking at this. What does that mean? It doesn't mean we look like God on the outside, uh, but rather his character and nature that he has uh, created us. We are created in the image of God. Now, only human beings are created in the image of God. Animals are not. So your dog, your cat, your horse, whatever, not created in the image of God. Only Human beings are created in the image of God. Now, God created marriage then and attended it as a lifelong partnership between one man and one woman. So, again, from the Genesis chapters 1 and 2, uh, we've learned these things. This is a matter of review. Does that mean if you are not married, you are less significant? Absolutely not. How would we know that? The correct answer at Arise Church as always, was Jesus married? Was he completely fulfilled? Absolutely. So what we're saying by that is we do not need to be married to be completely fulfilled. In fact, sometimes marriage is a challenge. And together, all the married people said, thank you. That is absolutely correct, right? Uh, But this was God's original plan and design right? So we're just acknowledging what Scripture is teaching us, and from that, marriage then becomes the foundation, all a part of God's plan here, and cornerstone for building a strong family. 
and God had commanded man and woman to multiply and fill the earth, correct? And many theologians would say that is the only command that humanity has obeyed, the only one, okay? So, and anyway, we think about this, uh, but even from the beginning, it's clear that there's a huge difference between our biological family, our biological family, our, our blood relatives, our physical family, and our spiritual family. So when we use that word family as we've been defining it, understand uh, the Bible uses it in several different ways, right? So your biological family and your spiritual family are probably, maybe, can be two very different and distinct things. Here's how Jesus put it. He was talking to a Jewish religious leader by the name of Nicodemus, and he said, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So you you can easily see uh, what Jesus was talking about. We have a family that we are born into biologically and by blood. That's what connects us, right? But now there is a second birth Jesus is talking about. It is a spiritual birth. And from that spiritual birth comes then a new family. Is this all making sense to you? Uh, This is pretty basic stuff, but I think it's worthy of mentioning again. So, Paul would write in Ephesians, so now, once you've had this experience, uh, all of us were born physically into a biological family. Some of us here have been born from above into the spiritual family. And for those individuals who have decided to follow Jesus, here's what Paul would say in Ephesians 2. So now you Gentiles, that's us, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Now, next week we'll talk about how we become a part of that family uh, through adoption, right? We'll just mention that. But for now, hang with me. And so, John would write, those who have been born into God's family that we're talking about do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. How many of you have been born into God's family? How many of you continue to sin? I hope that's the same amount of hands, (laughs) right? Otherwise, I'll sit down and you can continue. Okay. (laughs) They don't make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. And so now uh, we see this distinction between our biological family and our spiritual family. Now track with me because it's going to get a little more intriguing. Now last week we looked at the teachings of Jesus as it pertains to the family. Now, who designed and created the family? God. Is Jesus God? Yes. Absolutely he is. God in the flesh. Right? And so if Jesus was in on creating the family, why in the world does he blow it up? with statements like this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, let me ask you this. 
How many of you hate your father and mother, your wife and children? How many of you hate them? It's always got to be the head elder's kid. <laughs> Never fails, right? <laughs> right? That, that is the word hate. It's a very strong, strong word. But Jesus used the word. He said you must hate your father, your mother, your spouse, your children, grandchildren, your cousins. Everybody's included in that. If we want to be his disciples. Those are strong words. Now, he went on to say, do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. I thought Jesus was into bringing people together. And now he's clearly saying, I came not to bring people together. I came to divide them. What does he mean by that? He said, from now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me, two against, two in favor, three against. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He's pretty specific when he talks about this thing. Now, why would the one who created the family blow it up? What in the world is he talking about? Seems contradictory, doesn't it? when we first look at it, but it's not. If we put those passages in context as we started to last week, Jesus is talking to us about the cost of following him. Nothing can compete with our love and care in our allegiance and our loyalty and our devotion and all the rest. Nothing can compete with that, right? So we touched on that last week, but this is interesting. The Luke passage, Luke chapter 12, Uh, He uses many times in these verses the word against. And as only a physician can do, the word means literally to cut into or to tear apart. Luke was a physician, right? This is the only time it's found in the New Testament is in this passage of Scripture right here. It's a very hard, harsh kind of word. It speaks of complete and permanent split, and sometimes following Jesus can tear apart relationships even within the same family. We touched on that last week. I told you about my sister-in-law. Are we willing to pay the price? That's what Jesus is asking, and he continually asks that question as he walked among the people. Are you willing to follow me? Now, Luke chapter 9, if we stayed in the gospel of Luke, we would see uh, two guys. He asked the question, hey, come follow me. But they turned back because their families were more important. One wanted to wait for his inheritance, make sure I got cleared through the courts and everything. I'd get my chunk right before I head out with you. Uh, The other one wanted to make sure his family approved the plan before he left. And both of them walked away in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is continually inviting us on a journey with him. He said, if you're going to follow, there's going to be a price to pay. And this is going to impact even your own family. Even your own family when we follow Jesus. I shared last week some of my own uh, personal story of not being raised in the church or in a Christian home. And when I came to Jesus in my 20s, the impact that that had and continues to have, quite literally, on my family. So, Let's back up a bit and see how this played out in the master's life. Now, I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 2. 
This is a few verses, so I didn't put them all on the screen. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, feel free. Otherwise, I'm going to read it. But understand, we're looking now at the life of Jesus, and as he followed his Father's will, what did that do to his earthly family? Right? So um, in Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was 12 years old. Okay, got to picture this in your brain. 12 years old. They attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home in Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Gee, where's mom and dad? Not watching over their 12-year-old. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later... All right, we got a missing 12-year-old here. Three days later, they finally discovered him. Where is he? He's in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and <laughs> asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But this is, this is where I want to go with this. We overlook this. The next sentence, his parents didn't know what to think. Now, remember when Jesus was born? He's 12 now, right? They didn't know what to think. They know, uh-oh, this, this, this isn't a usual birth. He doesn't have a father. The father's the Holy Spirit, and this is a, a really a weird story. So, it goes on. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic three days. We've been looking for you. We can't find you. Jesus, where'd you go? Right? We're searching everywhere. But then I imagine this 12-year-old, he's sitting among the religious leaders. This just fascinates me. Why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. So we look at these, uh, his parents didn't know what to think, and they didn't understand what he meant by all of this. So we see the, the conflict here between his biological family and his spiritual family. And Jesus is laying down some very important teaching here. Now this, they didn't understand. They didn't understand about family. They didn't get it. Now, let's fast forward 18 years. Jesus is 30-something, right? He's starting his ministry. And we go to the Gospel of Mark for this one. One time Jesus entered a house. He's just getting things up and rolling, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't find, even find time to eat. When his family, his biological, his blood relatives heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. He's flipped his lid. He's going crazy. This Jesus, look at what he's doing. He doesn't even have time to eat. He's not taking care of himself. He's just, man, he's some kind of weirdo, right? He's out of his mind. And we continue in Mark 3. Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. Mm, you're out of mind, son. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replies, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is profound, absolutely profound. The difference between his biological family 
and all we got conjured up to be in the Hallmark card, right? Of what is supposed to be a Christmas and Thanksgiving. Forget it, right? And then he's contrasting that with his spiritual family, those who are doing life with him, those who are in the same wavelength with him. And this has been true in my family over the years. Uh, married at 18 and 16, my wife and me, we immediately moved away. We never looked back. We've never lived close to family. We have always always my kids never had a relationship with their grandparents because the grandparents didn't take much of an interest in them in our children our five children that was okay Uh, we knew the following Jesus would be (laughs) costly with a biological family who didn't know Jesus and we didn't live close by and so in a very real sense the church family became our family. And my kids' grandparents were people from the church who took an interest in them and cared for them and loved them and their brothers and sisters. Uh, it wasn't their cousins. They didn't grow up hardly even knowing their cousins became other kids in the church. And it was very clear that the spiritual family was taking priority over the biological family. Now, I'm just throwing this out because I'm building toward a point here, okay? So, then the master goes on to say, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Loving our family more than Jesus, what does that look like? Is anybody in this room in danger of that? Loving your family more than you love Jesus? Careful, 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 careful. What does that look like? What does it look like? What does it look like? What does it look like? What does worshiping our family look like? And there's a very simple test. I'll just throw this one in and no extra charge. There's two ways I can tell, or you can tell about me, what I love. What are they? Where you spend your time and where you spend your money. If I look at your calendar and checkbook or your bank statement or your credit card statement, I can tell what you love. Why? Because where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, Jesus said. I can tell exactly what you love and you can tell exactly what I love by the way I'm spending my time and the way that I spend my money. Now, those facts don't lie. You can say, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus more than anything. I love Jesus. Okay. Really? Hmm. It's one thing to say, it's another to live it. And that's why Jesus is so adamant about counting the cost of following him. Even when it comes to family. Now, hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought, right? What does worshiping our family look like? Um, I could stand up here and, and tell you, but I'm going to let somebody else do it. Her name is Jamie Trunnell, and here's what she wrote. I found this fascinating. While, I, while my children were growing up, I gave my family priority over everything else, she wrote. I devoted myself to their health, their safety, their happiness. Getting up in the morning, my first thoughts revolved around them. What do they need? Where do they have to go today? How do they feel? Going to bed at night, they were my last thoughts as well. Do they have friends? Is their school safe? Are they getting sick? What activities should we add or cut? I did my best to raise them right. I volunteered at the school, taught them values, took them interesting places, hosted playdates, read lots of books, and loved them more than anything else. More than God. 
We saved a place for God on most Sundays. When I look back on those days now, I can see that I treated God as an afterthought. Worshiping Him was something I would try to fit in. Faith was important, but not as important as my family. I worshiped my family. When you worship someone or something more than God, the Bible calls it idolatry, she wrote. Love for family is important, but God wants that love to be drawn out of our initial love for Him as a source of all love. God helps us love our families in deeper, better ways. I found that very profound. I found that very profound because we live in America, and as we begin to emerge from the pandemic, I have concerns that even within Jesus' followers, in the camp of Jesus' followers, are those who are loving their own family more than they love God. So what does that look like? Well, as we awaken from our lockdown and confinement to quarters, it is weird, man. Isn't it weird for you to go into stores and people aren't wearing masks? It's like, ooh, this is kind of nice, kind of nice, right? I think this is probably a really good time to reevaluate where we are as a family. For many months, for our families, it's kind of been us against the world, or us against COVID, or us against anyone who doesn't see politically or in any other way the way that we see the world, because the way that we see the world is right. Now, this might be a great time to reset our thinking. Might be a good time just to ask Jesus what he wants for us going forward. What an opportunity to re-engage the world in a different way. Here are some indicators we may need some realignment, sort of readjustment in our alignment with following Jesus in an understanding of what it means to be a part of God's family, which is what we're going to talk about next week. We, I'm going to give you some we statements. When I use the term, first person plural, we, I'm talking about our family. So think about your family. These are some indicators that we may be loving our family more than we love God. Okay? A little checklist for us. We seldom reach out to others. If our family is so inward focused that we've circled the wagons, and it's our family against the world or our neighborhood, and it's us against the big, bad, scary world, uh, Houston, we got a little bit of a problem here. Because that's not the mission Jesus has called us to. It's to love others, right? If we fear, then if fear becomes the force that is guiding our decisions, our parenting, our relationship with the lost, we're missing the point here. We are missing the point of following Jesus. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not supposed to isolate or insulate ourselves from the world. That's not at all what we're talking about. It doesn't work that way. And if we're seldom reaching beyond the borders of our own family, man, I think it's time just to ask Jesus what he wants. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying. Secondly, we seldom serve in the church. Now, as we've already seen, we're part of a physical, biological family. We're also part of the family of God. Now, as a part of God's family, we're a part of his community. It's a spiritual family. We're not separate from it. We're not more important than it, but we're essential to it. Serving gets the focus off of ourselves and onto others. Even as a family unit, we have to be serving because serving is about others, about using our gifts is to build up others in the kingdom. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he said, I want you to do likewise. And he's not just talking about serving our own family. 
He's talking about serving one another. And if we're not doing that, uh, again, something's got to go like, uh-oh, uh-oh, we've got a little bit of a problem here, right? Thirdly, we seldom have time for anyone or anything but us. If our family is always busy with our own activities, whether it's soccer, piano lessons, dance lessons, family vacations, even family worship, if we're so just stuck on this to the point we have little time for others, there's got to be a red flag that goes up here, folks. We are a part of a bigger community called the body of Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like? And we don't have time for that. Wow, maybe we put our family in a place that's elevated beyond what it should be. And now you know that family is important. I'm all about family. I'm not anti-family in any way, shape, or form. But I'm saying, what did Jesus teach? What did he mean by these verses? We seldom sacrifice. If our family is reluctant to give generously, financially or time because of what it might cost our family, then we wouldn't be able to do that. Then we've got a problem because this money and this time is not ours. It belongs to him, and we have to use it according to his will and plan, not our own. And if we are not being generous with our money and time with others because it's all going into our family and what we got planned next and what we want to do, uh, ooh. So I ask, when is the last time your family gave up something for the sake of of someone else. When's the last time you as a family gave up something and sacrificed that? Time, resources for somebody else. What did that look like? Now, the vast majority of people in here, this is boring because you're living it and I appreciate that. But I'm going to ask you in a moment to ask the Holy Spirit what he thinks of it, right? We seldom speak well of others. Now, I'm not much for conspiracy theories. I think they're way over the top. But lately, I've been, it's just weird to me. Two times in the last two weeks, I have talked with someone about something, and then all the ads on ESPN change According to that thing, I never looked up online. I never did anything but talk to somebody about it. I'm like, how does that work? How does that work? So I wonder if we were listening through your cell phone to your conversations within the walls of your own home, what does it sound like? So what I'm saying is this. We seldom speak well of others. If our conversations in our home are too often condemning, critical, judgmental, sarcastic, biting, mean-spirited, even about people in our own biological family, we got a problem. We got a problem. And if your conversations as a family are laced with sarcasm and, and condescending and, and all this kind of stuff that has no place, Paul would say, in our speech, we best back up and look and stop thinking, you know, if others were only as cool as we are, as wise as we are, as together as we are, and begin to understand this isn't about us, it's about Jesus. What does the conversation sound like in your own home? Again, I'm not heaping guilt on anybody for anything because I have to look into my own heart, right? 
And so this checklist was first applied right here. <laughs> I guarantee you. Right? And some of this is a work in progress. Lastly, we seldom see the world as a safe place. And this is a concern for me. That in a few weeks down the road, I'd like to speak into, because man, I'm getting rattled about this one. We seldom see the world as a safe place. Yeah, sure, we know God is in control, but I'm afraid, so I'm going to do everything I can and must to make sure the bad guys or the boogeyman doesn't get me or my family. And we're going to rather extreme kinds of means to make sure we're safe. So, caution. Behavioral scientists for many, many years have known that times of disruption and transition also can create great opportunities for growth and change. I think COVID has kind of thrown a big wrench into our schedules and into our thinking. Some of it good, some of it's not so good. And now that we're slowly emerging from all the restrictions of a pandemic life and things are getting back to whatever normal is or was, social scientists agree that it's a great time to start thinking about what we've learned through all of this. What are some of the new habits and patterns that we'd like to keep and what parts of our pre-pandemic life do we want to change and bring more fully into alignment with God's plan? Katie Milkman, a professor at Wharton School, wrote How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, wrote, I don't know when we'll have another one like this in our lifetime. We have this blank slate to work on. Everything is on the table to start fresh. It's time to rethink our priorities, she writes. We have to ask ourselves, how am I going to schedule my time? We have a limited window to be deliberate about it because pretty quickly we'll have a new pattern established and we probably won't rethink it again for a while. Well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. God's given us an opportunity here to evaluate, to adjust. In Arise Church, I think uh, it's time to seize the opportunity of a fresh start with intentionality. I believe that God makes all things new. I believe that this whole COVID pandemic stuff, all for a reason and purpose, it's a wake-up call at many, many levels. And I trust that you could say, this is what I've learned through this.